We've lost the practice of lament. We need to rediscover lament in order to heal and hope again. Hello, I'm Brent Siddle and welcome again to the God Story podcast. A very special guest with us this time on the show is Tara McDaniel, the author of a new book from InterVarsity Press, IVP America, called Hopeful Lament, Tending Our Grief Through Spiritual Practices. Tara is a spiritual director for adults and children. She spent two decades as a pastor and ministry leader and earned her Master's in Divinity at Portland Seminary. She's the author of More Than Ordinary with Doug Sherman and is a regular contributor to the Companioning Center blog. And Tara joins me now on Zoom from the States. Tara, hi, welcome to the show. Hi, I'm so glad to be here. Well, thank you for joining us. This is uh, an important and fascinating book, and I got a great deal out of it. But can I start by asking you, what actually is lament? Lament is something that gives grief a place to go. It is uh, a kind of prayer, which uh, might surprise some some listeners. It did me. It is... Uh, it's a way of letting grief and pain and loss move through us instead of getting stuck. And in that way, it's it's a faithful spiritual practice mm. and one that's been lost for many of us. Yes, and we're, hopefully we're going to be able to go back and explore some of the ways that uh, people in other centuries de- and other cultures dealt with, with grief. But can I ask you, in what ways have you learned to lament in mm. your life? Because you've been through a lot. Yes, uh, I... Uh, I often say this is not a book that I set out to write. Uh, I don't think many would. And it is the book that that I wish I had had in my hands in, through those times. It's sort of, you know, uh, come through hard-won experience. So, you know, lots of different kinds of grief and loss through childhood uh, and, and adulthood. But there was one particular concentrated season uh, a little over a decade ago where just this these series of losses occurred, including a threat to my daughter, including business fraud, and it's sort of culminated, uh, in- including, uh, I-, I don't mean to, to pass this by, it- it's 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 significant, uh, that needing to step away from a difficult church uh, community that we had been a part of. And the, and I say it culminated because this was a literal and physical flashpoint. And in, and in many ways, it's the easiest to talk about. We had a catastrophic house fire that sort of capped off that season. And, and what happened there is, personally, I felt leveled. I felt set adrift. I felt, frankly, abandoned by God. And, and um, what I realized in, you know, in those days and weeks and months and years that followed is that grief is not linear and that um, fast forwarding to praise and trust is, is not what we're invited to do by God. And the reality is it's not actually possible. And so what is, you know, is, and so that's what's brought me to this invitation to learn how to lament more effectively. Yes, and you give us lots of ways we can lament. In what ways have we all been grieving and lamenting over the past few years with COVID? I mean, there's been an awful lot of suffering in the in in the all around the world. That's exactly right. Exactly right. And of course, in some ways, that's not new. But the but you know, a, a global pandemic at, on the scale of COVID, um, it's been more than a century since we've lived through that as as a global population, and then. The added to that is, um, 
you know, it, it's particularly in the States, but, but even this, you know, spills over uh, abroad. Uh, there's a lot of racial and cultural division and social media has kind of exacerbated this in many ways. It's a gift to us in, in lots of ways, but it's exacerbated divisions. And, and, and we know there's so much violence. Uh, I, I saw headlines for two more mass shootings in the United States just today. And, and I know that, that you have experienced mass shootings as well in New Zealand. Um, and, yes. and so there's just it, the weight of it that um, that we've experienced together, combined with our own individual experiences of grief and loss, um, it's it's a heavy time, and and there's no question that 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 we have much to lament as a people. Yes, I wonder how we've dealt with lament. Have we dealt with lament? Have have we grieved? Have we allowed our societies and communities to grieve during this COVID period as well as we might have done? Mm. Sadly, I think the answer is absolutely not, though I see pockets of it. And and I think as well, what I would say is what I have what I've witnessed and what and what I know to be true from from what I've read and seen is that there are some communities, you know, particularly, you know, systemically marginalized people who have never actually lost or suppressed practices of lament because that wasn't an option that was available to them. It wasn't able, it wasn't possible to say everything's great. We're, you know, everything's getting better and better all the time, but we've kind of hit a barrier as a people um, and particularly people of more privilege where, where there's, there's nothing else to say other than life is sometimes hard and sometimes we don't know why and to make room for, um, to process that individually and in families and in communities is is where where we must go. Yes, I think our Maori and Pacifica communities in New Zealand are absolutely brilliant at lamenting. You speak to them about yes. grief and how they grieve, uh, as I have, and I think they do it far better than far better yes. than than, uh, than many of us do. How and why have we in the West? Do you think forgotten? how to lament. You write this, I think you write in the West, we've forgotten how to lament. Why is that and how is that? Mm -hmm. I think that it's had to do with, I think there's some sort of positive reasons and some perhaps less positive reasons. One is that we're, you know, we're, we have clean and running water Oftentimes, we can turn on a switch and, and have electricity. We have medical care that means that mothers and children, you know, aren't being so often lost during childbirth. And so, so, so I think part of it has been, you know, sort of, you know, enlightenment post-industrial re- revolution is that we're dying less. We, you know, we're we're losing less in, in some fashion. And then there is. Um, kind of the thinking that goes along with that, that says, uh, you know, that that's the power of positive thinking, you know, focus, focus on the bright side, things are getting better and better, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll study and we'll use our minds, and we can always keep moving forward to, to what's better. And the, the underbelly of that kind of thinking is that, you know, sadness and grief and and these kind of darker experiences are are viewed as are viewed as self-perpetuating. They're viewed as ruminating on negativity. Um, they're viewed as even deserved. 
Um, you know, the, the, the person who's grieving must have done something wrong to deserve it. And, and if you just had a more sunny disposition, you know, you'd find your way through that kind of thing. And and that that thinking has, you know, falls up short, doesn't it? Um, and, and we're seeing the aftermath of it. Y- yes, indeed. Yes. Uh, what's been the I've got to ask this question. What's been the impact of Norman Vincent Peale and his power of positive thinking? Because you deal with this in your yeah. book. I found I found the section fascinating. What's been the impact yes. of Norman Vincent Peale? And the positive thinking on the states and on the west generally because um he's had a tremendous impact here too yes yes uh i you know that's a title that i had heard you know going forward and people and people talked about but but when i looked at some of his you know some of the tenants in that book which was a bestseller at the time and and you know again as you say it still has these reverberations that that are, are still with us he talked about uh and he and and i think it's important to say that he did it as a as a christian pastor he did it saying this is a biblical, a Christian perspective, um, and that's that's to to marry those with what I'm about to say is really is where it gets problematic. Um, he said that we should we should think of ourselves um, as not having faults, and and we should we should think of our potential as limitless, and even exaggerate it to ourselves and to others. We should not admit wrongdoing. You know, we should, you know, just just all these things that are are about sort of powering through and resisting fear at at all costs um, and staying positive. And and that positivity is is a very self-focused possibility positivity it's about it's about uh power and it's about presence and it about it's about you know others respecting you you know as a person and and you know what i found um that surprising is that uh, former president trump's parents attended Fields Church, and 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 Donald Trump grew up hearing those teachings. Peel even uh, officiated his first marriage, and 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 there's no question that so much of Trump's you know presence and and the ways that others have and do model themselves after his public surprise. Uh, persona are, are I mean they're they're taken right from the pages of Norman Vincent Peale. Mm. Yes, it's not a view of life that the ancient Greeks would have identified with. I don't think. How, how did <laughs> speaking of the ancient Greeks, I've got to bring them in because I love Greek tragedy. Yes. I mean, the, and the whole idea of Aristotle's whole idea of catharsis—that you go to, yes. uh, you witness a reenactment of tragic events, you weep, you you feel for the for the tragedy of the situation, and you come out somehow cleansed. I think he's. Yes. I think he was right. I wonder how yes. ancient people in the ancient world did lament or grieve. Yes, yes. That that's where so we see lament practices in in our own scripture, but we see them, you know, elsewhere as well. And exactly so the the you know the that idea of catharsis. Uh, we see it in ancient Egypt, where uh, women would often sing lament songs, and there would be pretty elaborate enactments of, you know, of the grief of losing, you know, someone important. So, so, so lament could be something sung, it could be cutting hair, it could be sprinkling on ashes, uh, tearing cloth, you know, lying on the ground, you know, all these things that are very embodied. Um, and and what's interesting about some of these practices is the ways that they're, they're, they transcend culture. 
you know, that we find them in so many different places, uh, as you as you mentioned, you know, your own Maori people oh, in yes. New Zealand, etc. Um, uh, uh, it's it's uh, the common threads are are I think trustworthy, um, mm. and 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 that thread, to put it simply, is that that giving voice to grief, that making room to return to it in remembrance. Um, and and letting it be somehow physically expressed are are, are some important themes of, of what mm. faithful lament, lament looks like. Yes, uh, we mentioned uh, tearing our clothes and, and so forth. It reminds me of the book of Job, doesn't it? And how, how can the book mm -hmm. of Job, again, a book that's, I think, completely overlooked in our churches, how often, not always, how can the book of Job help us with lament? Mm -hmm. I, I, in so many ways, I found it a, a wellspring of, of hope around lament and there, there's no question. It's a hard book. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. right? Fabulous. <laughs> right. Oh, yes. Fabulous. yes. And so it begins with, you know, kind of this quandary of God, you know, being in debate with the accuser, allowing all this suffering to come to Job and his wife, all this layered loss. And, and, and what we see is Job responding faithfully saying, and, and, and he, and he does what he does, what those around him would have understood as lament practices. He shaves his head. He, he puts on sackcloth. He, he gets in the ashes around the fire and, and he cries aloud to God. And, one so 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 many things that could be said one of the overlooked pieces of the friends that came to companion him that is actually a, the most helpful thing they did and an appropriate response to uh to to being alongside those who are grieving is they came and they joined him in that place of of surrender that that represented all this layered loss and they were silent with him. They simply were present with him. And that is what many who are who are grieving, ex that's exactly what they need. And then from there, they move into this debate at, where they're wrestling together with the question of suffering. They're wrestling together with why it happens. And Job steadfastly said, the, the, the friends say, it was you. It's, you're being punished. Your children were being punished. Think happy thoughts. It'll get better. You know, they're very annoying. Joe, they're the friends very are very annoying. annoying. Incredibly are annoying. Indeed. You feel like slapping them. I'm sorry. Yes, yes, absolutely. There are little mosquitoes buzzing around that just won't, won't fly away. And Job stays with the narrative. He says, I trust God. I believe in, I believe he's, God is faithful. I believe God loves me. But this is not right. It's not fair. I didn't deserve this. Um, I want to. I want to talk directly to God, and he <laughs> gets that prayer answered. He does. And comes face to face with God, and and God has some some words for him, which which are you have been talking about things that you don't know as much about as you proclaim, and. And then he and he reminds him of, he, of his humanity. And Job, as he began, chooses humility. He chooses worship. He chooses trust. 
And then, and, and at that point, it seems like God is kind of siding with, with the annoying friends. And then God turns to them with uh, some of the strongest words in the book to say, guess what? You have been speaking of me, what is not true. And you need to ask Job to pray for you. And the these sort of, uh, again, I think often overlooked and beautiful thing that happens is that they say, okay, we, we received that. We were wrong. And for them, restoration happens. For Job, restoration happens. Um, and, and so this complex book ends with lots of goodness, but it doesn't, it, but, but the, the bulk of the book is wrestling with the questions. Mm-hmm. And that's where we are invited to be. Not, not, you know, not stopping short at praise and trust, not fasting forward, you know, fast forwarding, powering, fast yes. forwarding, gracious sakes. Thank you. Um, <laughs> that, that's not what I was doing in that moment. Not fast forwarding to restoration, but staying with the wrestling and letting it take as long as it takes. Yeah. And trusting God's with us in it. That's yeah. that's that's right. Now, uh, that leads me to my next question. Why should people who are suffering not be told as they so often are in our churches, why should people who are suffering not be told that God is punishing them for their sin? First of all, because the speaker couldn't possibly know whether or not that's true. And second of all, um, it uh, it adds insult to injury. And, you know, so so to 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 um, have kind of these truisms, you know, everything happens for a reason, um, you know, God works things for good. God, God, God is punishing you, and and you therefore need to repent. All of those things are, are most often more about the speaker than they are about the person that they are spoken to. They are they are a way of bypassing the the questions, just as Job's friends did, um, and coming in with with certainty that is inappropriate and is false certainty. Okay, Tara. All that being true, how do we reclaim? lament you have uh, a number of spiritual practices i'd like to focus on one is breath prayer now i mm-hmm. i'm going to try this because i found this this mm-hmm. this looked interesting what is breath pet i can't say it now you see what is breath prayer <laughs> and how how has it helped you personally in lamenting and grieving mm-hmm. so breath prayer is simply uh uh, wordlessly praying as you breathe in and as you breathe out. And so it might be a name of God breathing in, yeah, breathing out way. Uh, it might be uh, a part of a, a verse, be still breathing in, breathing out and know that I am God. It might, it might be healer breathing in, breathing out, meet me here. Um, so, and, and what's, what's nice about breath prayer is, when you are, as I was, in a place of no longer knowing how to pray, um, this was a way to talk to God um, without needing to create this this huge narrative, without needing to find new words. Um, and what, as well, what I like about breath prayer is it can be done in all kinds of contexts. Um, and so often in those early days, um, I would find myself on wa- long walks outside, you know, just 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 trying to find a sense of things. And and those breath prayers were were solace to me um, in, in those moments. Uh, they were a way, 
a way in sort of sideways um, in the, in those moments um, to, to be with God and let God be with me. Um, and so, yeah. Yeah. What about music? Let's come and talk about music. I mean, I find music tr tremendously helpful when, when I'm, when I've been grieving and lamenting. How does music help us lament? I wonder. And, uh, can we, can we write our own songs of lament? Yes, absolutely. I think, you know, we have this whole songbook in, in, uh, in our Bible and, and it is literally a songbook. Um, uh, they, they were sung, were meant to be sung. Um, and, and we can do the same. We can, you know, in times of grief, we can write our own psalms that begin with very biblical questions like, how long, O Lord? Um, and and why questions. We can bring those to God. We can start as a, as a springboard. We can take a psalm and sort of change the lyrics a little bit to fit, or we can we can feel the freedom to be really creative and and start with those questions, and we can and we can write them out. And then there's this lovely invitation to find a tune to a to a song that you know and sing it out loud and let your let yourself hear the words, um, and even invite you know friends or family or or a small group to sing it with you. Um, and and there's something powerful in that that happens you know when we when we sing in minor key in those ways. Nothing like a good bit of opera, I find, mm -hmm. when I'm, if, if you're into opera, I'm, it deals with tragedy yes. and tragic situations, right. and you're, you're called to identify with the tragedies of the characters. I find it very helpful. Jewish, is it pronounced Shiva? Jewish Shiva, yes. you write about this. I love this. Now, what are some of the ways we can grieve together with, with Jewish Shiva? Mm -hmm. So it is in in many ways that that those early moments of Job and his friend is is a is sort of a picture of of what Shiva is, and it's it's uh, when a loss happens, it, oftentimes a death, but but in our cases, my 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 hope is that we can kind of expand these practices to other kinds of losses. But when a loss happens, uh, uh, those impacted by it gather. And they cover up mirrors to help them. Uh, for, there are lots of you know explanations for why that happens, but but one is simply that that it's about presence with with what is. It's not about being concerned with appearance, uh, that kind of thing. And there are meals that are brought. Dress is simple. You know, it's sort of um, you know cosmetics or, or or different ways of of self care. Are, are let, those standards are, are lowered for the moment in, in, in view of simplicity. And it is a time to remember together. It is a time to be quiet together. It is a, is a, it's a time to tell stories of, uh, of the loss and, and remember together. Um, it's, it's a sense of, of grieving in community. You have a, a, a terrific section on children as mourners and uh, children's grief, which I think is highly important. In what ways yes. do you think children are often the forgotten mourners? Mm -hmm. Well, I, I I think because children have that they they don't have the intellectual capacity, they uh, they don't have the emotional capacity that more life maturity brings. We, we might assume that they don't understand or that they don't feel things as deeply. And that is 
that is a pretty profound mistake. Uh, children understand much more than we often give them credit for, um, for in terms of what's happening around them. Um, and in fact, sometimes they are more tuned in to the emotions of others than adults are because um, they pick you know, them up. Because they, because they pick them up and yeah. because they need to be. Yeah. And and so when we assume that that children uh, don't grieve and don't understand grief, we are actually robbing them of a chance to grow in their capacity to grieve well, because they will be grieving. But, but the question is, do, do we help them grieve well? Do we validate their experience or not? Um, and um, and, and there's just a huge opportunity uh, to really uh, accompany children in this way and even learn from them, right? Because, you know, as, as Jesus called them, uh, ideal members of God's kingdom, you know, and, and, and in grief, uh, that, that is true as well. Mm. We've only a few minutes left, Tara. Time, the half hour has rushed past. Um, <laughs> but I want to ask you about uh, toxic churches because I know a large part of your your own grieving has been for mm -hmm. church and for ministry. How, I wonder, mm -hmm. can we recover from the grief mm -hmm. of toxic churches? Is this something that causes us all immense pain often? Mm -hmm. it, it, it is because, because what happens when when people encounter toxic churches and toxic church leadership, the God's uh, authority and God's voice is often conflated with those things. And so, so uh, painful experiences in church um, can often and do often uh, impact uh, the person's sense of connection with God. Um, and, and, you know, can healing happen? I believe it, I, I believe it can, I have experienced that it can. And it's another moment where there is no short circuit to the process. Um, and it can be, it can be a messy one of bringing things into the light and sort of uh, detangling what is of God and, and can be kept and what is of goodness and truth and can be kept and what had gotten um, ensnared in authoritarianism or abusive behavior or otherwise toxic dynamics and must be mourned and set aside as, as not of God and not something to carry forward. Um, and, and it's possible to do. Yes. What do you say to someone who's listening to this podcast who is feeling very unsafe in their church for whatever reason? What what would be your words of wisdom, if I can put it like that? Mm. I would I would encourage I would encourage them to trust their instincts, to to talk to God about it as much as they feel able, and to talk about their concerns with with who. Um, with leadership uh, as safe, um, and with other trustworthy others who can who can companion them in deciding, you know, how to move forward, and is there is there a path to restoration, or is it time to step away um, and, and heal and find another community? Mm. Uh, but starting with trusting their instincts. Yeah, we often try and talk it away, don't we, or reason yes. it away when, in fact, our gut instinct is often telling us the right thing. Mm. That's right. Tara McDaniel, fabulous. Thank you so much, Tara. The author mm. of this new book from InterVarsity Press, IVP America, it's called Hopeful Lament, Tending Our Grief Through Spiritual Practices. You'll find heaps there to um, challenge you and fascinate you. I did. Um, and I, th I thoroughly 
enjoyed is probably the wrong word to use. Uh, to, to, well, I did enjoy it, but you know what I mean. <laughs> and, I do, I do. That's, that's the hopeful part, yes? <laughs> the hopeful part. Oh, oh, before we go, we've got a couple of minutes. Yes, I haven't asked you that because the title is Hopeful Lament. Now, I meant to ask you, thank you for reminding me, in what way is lament hopeful? Mm. Lament is hopeful in that it trusts that God cares about uh, not just our praise and our trust, but our grief and our pain and our loss and actually wants to accompany us in it. Um, it is it is hopeful in that uh, it trusts that we can engage these things and come to the other side to, for, to new life, whatever that new life looks like, uh, the surviving it, right? Mm -hmm. and not alone mm -hmm. yep there we go yep. and thanks thank you tara thank you so much and thanks to our mm -hmm. creative thanks to our creative team at liquid edge who sponsor this podcast and who take care of things behind the scenes tara thank you so much for your time mm. so so glad to be here thanks we really hope you've enjoyed this episode of the god story podcast if you want to help us make more great episodes like this one you can head over to our patreon page and become a god story podcast supporter you'll receive our undying gratitude, plus a few bonus goodies for your ongoing support. Just visit patreon.com slash godstorypodcast. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash godstorypodcast. As always, you can get in touch with us via our website, godstorypodcast.com.